Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be talking about why do bad things happen. In American news, it turns out that there was another mass shooting. I'm not going to say that these shootings are getting more popular or more violent. Historical trends doesn't show any major fluctuations. But every time one of these shootings happens, people go crazy. They start talking about what we could have done to avoid this and what kind of laws and regulations we need to avoid future incidents. And then you have the people who try to bring up religious points. They try to say, oh, you know, this is God's will, or why did God allow this to happen, or they wonder where God was, or sometimes they just think that God has a reason for this. God's trying to do something with these types of events. The most famous perpetrators of this type of uh, idea that this is God's will or plan or sometimes that that's even God's uh, retribution against America are, are the Calvinist types. And the most famous Calvinists who do this are the Westboro Baptist Church who go around to funerals of soldiers saying, God's trying to kill these soldiers because America is a fallen nation. Yeah, America's not losing hardly anyone at all in our military fighting these foreign wars, and that's punishment? Losing less soldiers than ever before in any war? Yeah, I don't think so. And that's one of the things I'm going to kind of stress. If these modern day, these shootings, this violence, these these floods and hurricanes, if this is God's punishment, God's just getting incompetent at what he's trying to do. Because shootings are getting less common, Wars were losing less people, and anytime there's a major hurricane or flood or something like that, people just don't die, not in the numbers that they used to. And I'm not even just talking about percentage rate. We have way more people today, and in major catastrophes, way less people die. So I'll address some of those statistics a little bit later, but right now we're going to talk about the Bible and how the Bible treats incidences like this. The first thing we need to acknowledge is, yes, in the Bible, in various places in the Bible, God does punish people. You got the Sodom and Gomorrah incident where God punishes a foreign people for their behavior. Destroys the entire city. You have... uh, brimstone raining from the heavens to destroy an entire city for their actions. You have places like Nineveh where Jonah goes and he warns them that they are going to be shortly destroyed. And what do they do in return? They repent and then they are saved. You have various examples of God throughout the Bible using foreign peoples, foreign nations like the Syrians to punish Israel for various offenses done by Israel. So when people object, like the Trilobog Calvinist blog, they said that, you know, why would God use a Muslim shooter? That might be a good point, but it also is not without precedence that God would use an evil person to accomplish something. The Syrians were used, the Babylonians were used. It's, It's just common practice for God to use his own enemies to do things for him, and then he would punish those people afterwards for their crimes. Not just the crimes that they're committing when they are fulfilling his punishment, but crimes just generally which plague their nation. He didn't take a good nation and force them to do bad works and then punish them for those bad works that he forced them to do. Now, these are evil people, and God punishes them afterwards. 
So yes, sometimes throughout the biblical history and the biblical text, God does punish people. God does accomplish power acts of punishment in which people die. It does happen. But a couple caveats to that. The general rule of thumb when God is doing this is, is he tells people that he's doing it. He, he sends a prophet and they explain this to them beforehand. We should uh, read Amos 3 and figure out what the author is trying to say about how God operates, just God's general operating pattern. He says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family I have brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. He's telling Israel, he's saying, I knew you personally, therefore I'm going to punish you. So this is cause and effect. He's not punishing all people everywhere. He's punishing Israel for a specific reason, because they should know better, because he, they were supposed to be his chosen people, and then they rejected him. And so what he's doing here is he's punishing them for that, specifically because of their status. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to me? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall into a snare of the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come unto the city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. What Amos is doing here is he's giving a kind of a cause and effect. He's saying, God has set the trap. God has declared against you. God tells people what he's going to do before he's going to do it. And this, this is the warning cry. And Amos is saying that no, not, not everything that happens is by God's hand. There is usually a foreshadowing of this. There's usually a prophet that declares God's word so that when the thing happens that the prophet declared, people will understand it's from God. It's not just random happenstance. Notice how anti-Calvinist that notion is in Amos. When God does something, he tells people about what he's doing and why. Does God do everything according to the Calvinists? Yeah, God does everything. Every little flip of the hand or someone tripping on the sidewalk and every time there's like a major event that happens, maybe Hades destroyed by an earthquake. They attribute all of that to God, God's uh, immutable decree. But God does not send prophets just telling people about every little thing, no matter how small. That's not how God operates. And the author of Amos, he's not proposing this as an absolute rule that there's no instance in which God can't do something without telling him. He's just saying this is just God's normal way of operating. God tells people what he's doing and why before he does it. That way it can be attributed to him. Notice the parallel concepts that can be found in Isaiah. Calvinists like quoting Isaiah. But Isaiah is all about, Isaiah 40 through about 48, it's about God telling people what's going to happen before it happens such that they can trust him that, that he actually did what he claimed he was going to do. And that way they're going to be able to understand and trust him when he declares other things about the future. This Amos chapter is really banking off the same types of concepts that are found in Isaiah. 
And all these concepts are anti-Calvinist concepts because in Calvinism, number one, you're not convincing people of anything. Number two, God does everything always for his own glory. Number three, not everything and not even the majority of the things that happen on earth are explained by God's prophets before they happen. There's no concept in the author of Amos and the author of Isaiah that Calvinism, that God's meticulous control of the entire universe, that that's even something to be flirted with. So let's fast forward using that concept and talk about how Jesus dealt with the Tower of Shalom. We have to remember in the time of Jesus, you had the Pharisees who were a major sect and they believed in fatalism. That everything happens for a reason. And so Jesus is approached with this question. Let's read it. This is coming from Luke 13. Luke 13, 1. And there were some present at that very time who told them about the Galatians, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And, and he answered them. This is Jesus talking. Do you think that these Galatians were the worse sinners than all other Galatians because they suffered in this way? And the people, they're thinking that, you know, Pilate killed all these Galatians. This, this happened for a reason. And the reason was probably because they were evil. They, God was punishing them. This is not unlike Job's friends in the book of Job. They say, Job, evil doesn't spring from the ground. There is a reason you are being punished, and it's because of your own sin. The same sentiments that were in Job's day carried on to the Jews in the time of Jesus. And Jesus does not share in this mentality. He doesn't share in this fatalistic idea that no matter what happens, this is God punishing people for certain actions, that everything has a purpose. Jesus just doesn't think that way. He's not a fatalist. And so Jesus responds. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So what does Jesus do here? He flips the illustration on its head. He says, look at these people, these Galatians, who were killed by Pilate. They weren't the worst of all sinners. This is not a fatalistic event. But take what happened to them as an illustration of what is going to happen to you unless you repent. Because remember, Jesus' ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They could take that event those people who died, those people who were slaughtered by the sword, and apply that as an illustration to show what their own lives would look like unless they repented. But Jesus doesn't think that the Galatians incident, he doesn't think that that was a fated event. He doesn't think that there was a purpose behind that, rather than just Pilate's men killing people. Jesus goes on, he says, Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Shalom fell and killed them. Do you think that they were the worst offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Again, Jesus is pressing against the fatalistic notions of the day that are common among Pharisees. These people who are dying, this is not because of something they did. It's not because of who they are. This is just happenstance. That's what Jesus is telling these people. He's dropped this fatalistic nonsense that you're talking about, where everything's fated to happen and people are punished in this cause and effect way and everything bad that happens on earth is, is for reasons. No, but Jesus says, use this as an illustration. Again, he says, but lest you repent, you will likewise perish. This is Jesus's idea of how the world works. There is happenstance. Sometimes 
things just happen. People really shouldn't make too much out of events. Focus on what's important. Focus on the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. That's what people should be afraid about. That's what sinners should be afraid about is this coming kingdom of God. Not present punishment through some sort of mystical happenstance event where people just randomly die or, or are murdered. Pilate murdered those Galatians. That's just happenstance. That's just something that happened. In Jesus' theology. Jesus goes so far as to incorporate chance into his parables. Now, when he's talking about his parables, he doesn't offer to people that are listening. He doesn't make up things that just can't happen. He doesn't talk about aliens and spacecraft and time travel. He gives them real-world examples. He says, hey, imagine a farmer. You guys are farmers, right? So you guys know what farmers do. Here's a parable about a farmer. And he gives a parable the good samaritan and he sets up this instance in which this guy gets mugged and a good samaritan by chance comes across this wounded person reading the parable we're looking at luke 10:30 jesus replied a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead now by chance a priest was going down that road when he saw them and he passed on the other side the chance here is not referring to the person who saved the person who was mugged. This chance is referring to someone who ignored the person in need. This would be kind of weird if this is trying to say this is all fated, that this uh, guy who's a priest was fated to ignore this other guy you know, by chance. It just doesn't make sense. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan... And the Jews hate Samaritans, so that's the point of this parable, is that someone who's hated, that's who turns out to be this man's best friend. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. In Jesus' parable, all these things are happening by chance. These individuals who come across this man happen by chance. And the remarkable thing is, by chance, there was a person who was considered a lesser or an enemy of the Jews, in some sense, some sense an enemy. But that's the person who takes care of this Jewish man who was mugged. We can look back on the Bible and understand that God's emotional reaction to how man acts and behaves is really good evidence that not everything happens for a reason. In Genesis 6, man becomes so evil that God regrets making man. Them becoming evil was not for like a divine purpose. It wasn't for a reason. It wasn't fated. It wasn't even expected. And God regrets making man as a result. It's not God re regretting man's actions. It's God regretting his own actions in making man. This is not fatalism. These are happenstance events. It happened, in this case, because of man's wickedness. This is a pretty common theme. In Judges 2, it talks about Israel's cycle of rebellion and salvation by God, and then they're fallen to further rebellion. It reads, They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Atheroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. 
Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered him. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down before them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed their commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the day of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. The entire point of this is that people are continually rebelling against God. God's not planning this. This is not fated. There's no reason for these people rebelling. And God gets very angry. And God punishes these people for these events that he didn't fate to happen. He didn't fate to make himself angry to punish Israel and then save them. God's not a schizophrenic, crazy clown that just does stuff to make himself mad. That's not what it's teaching here. It's teaching that God is trying to correct these people, and they're just not listening. Calvinists might focus on the correction part, but why is the correction needed? Why is the correction happening? It's because something happened that made God angry that God needs to try to correct. Something not fated to happen, something that God didn't want to happen, something that doesn't have a purpose. There's no purpose to it. And God doesn't extend these concepts to all nations everywhere, at least not in the Old Testament and Old Testament theology. Sometimes God would react. When we read about Sodom, when we read about Nineveh, there's a phrase that says, and thou cry came to God. There's a certain level, a certain threshold that has to be reached before God responds to these nations. And he doesn't respond with destroying one nightclub or destroying one little city. This is like total destruction of the wicked people or, or the wicked people's capital city, major death tolls. This is what God is threatening for their major sins against him. The shooting in the nightclub that happened in Florida, we're shooting in American history, 50 dead. But this Saturday, the Sunday, I was flying through the Chicago airport and, uh, I was drinking an IPA at the airport bar, and I was talking to a guy, and he's like, you know, here in Chicago, like 60 people were shot over the last weekend. Like 60 people were killed just in street violence. 50 people in Florida in a nation of 300 million, that's, that's nothing. It's an everyday occurrence for these big cities to have this many people dead. So if God's trying to punish the gay community, or if God's trying to punish America with these events where this minuscule amount of people are killed in an accident that takes the lives of just, it's indistinguishable from just the normal murder rate in America. It just doesn't even make a blip. This is terrible judgment. It's not very effective. It doesn't get very much point across. I know the media hypes it up, but people... Forget about events like this. 
you know, within weeks or months, they just, just kind of move on. Like the Virginia Techs, the Columbines, shakes us up for a while. But we get on because we don't really have any firsthand experience with these things. They're just so rare. School shootings are just so rare that they do make headlines. It's because no one really experiences it or has firsthand experience. Really rare to have firsthand experience with that type of stuff. Americans are living longer than anyone else in all of history, richer than anyone else ever in history. And just just our prosperity shields us from the worst of any event that comes. In the year 1900, this is like over 100 years ago, over 100 years ago, Galveston, Texas was hit by a hurricane. This was a huge storm. September 8th, 1900. It killed between 6,000 and 12,000 people. This is like in one day. 6,000 to 12,000 people. We haven't even lost 12,000 soldiers in a 10-year war in Afghanistan and Iraq. I don't think it's happened yet. Now take Katrina. Uh, granted, the Galveston storm was Category 4. Katrina happened to a more largely populated area, Category 3. Final death toll, less than 2,000. Less than 2,000. Comparing populations, Galveston had about 36,000 residents. New Orleans, about that time, had probably more like half a million people. In just just the city alone, and the greater area, probably a lot more than that. Just just the staggering amount of people killed a hundred years ago versus today. It's not like God hates poor people. God doesn't hate the people of Haiti and Malaysia, and so He just inflicts a lot more death and suffering on them. He just kills them all because He hates poor people. It's not what's going on here. The people who are richer can afford better protections against the elements. And they tend to survive bigger storms. A more plausible explanation is not that God's becoming more incompetent at killing people. It's that people are getting richer and thus are able to survive happenstance, random storms that tend to kill people who live in poor conditions. If we look at the number of shootings and mass shootings, people who are killed by gun violence in the United States, there's no major trends. And when you control for a percentage of population, gun deaths have been dropping dramatically for decades. They're just dropping off the charts. And same thing when you look at mass shootings. Yeah, the the number might look static, but when you control for the number of people in the US, they're just dropping off the charts. It's they're just going down. So if God's punishing us for something or trying to affect some sort of judgment, it's it, he's doing a really bad job really bad job. If God's punishing cops, like the Westboro Baptist Church, they will protest sometimes at cops' funeral. Doing a really bad job at that, too, because cop deaths, cop shootings are also going down, and it's more dangerous to be a fisherman, someone who's an industrial fisherman in the United States, than it is a cop, or in the military, for that sake. The military doesn't even make the top five most deadly professions. It just doesn't. So God must hate fishermen, is, is what I conclude from these statistics. There's a lot of sensationalism when it comes to the American media and what people digest on social media, and it's allowed the hysteria to propagate that 
an unprecedented rate. But, you know, life is looking good, and it's always looking better. And if you look at all the charts, all the indicators of prosperity, America's going up, 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 and there's no end in sight. So that should be our first hint that God's not trying to affect punishment on America. He's not trying to teach us stuff with these little one-off events that make a media splash for a little bit and then die away and don't make a blip in our overall patterns. I would really suggest that people follow non-sensationalist blogs, maybe like Reason.com. They tend to be more level-headed when it comes to media hysteria about certain things. The rape epidemic, the murder epidemic, the mass shooting epidemic. They, They try to look at the statistics to see if these things are becoming more common or if people are just more prone to overhype events just because rich people, it seems, tend to have led all the social movements throughout history. Just rich people with too much time on their hands and they complain about these little things and they try to make big deals about it. If we want to really affect real change and direct our efforts where it actually matters, we should look towards the third world. In this world, people who are living on less than a dollar a day throughout the world. That's who our concern should be for. That's who we should focus our time and energy on. And God's not punishing these people. And God's not punishing America. When people say that God is, you have to look at them and say, no. Do you think these people are the most wicked people in America? No. But I'll tell you what. You repent because guess what? One day there will be a judgment. There will be a reckoning. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that reckoning. There's a few interactions that have come from this Florida shooting that we probably should look towards. This event has caused another data point. I'll say data point because God is Open has been following James White's intellectual dishonesty for some time. Trial of blog, it's a Calvinist blog, it quoted him directly and dissected his quote. James White responds, just, just, out of the blue, without any clue about what Trailer Blog had written. He didn't understand his points, and he made some sort of weird claim that Trailer Blog was trying to predict what James White would think on an upcoming podcast. Okay, James White, did you even read and try to read for comprehension what Trailer Blog was writing? Did you try to do that? No, because you don't care. You'd rather misrepresent people and not understand their arguments and just speak to your own talking points and try to take some sort of false moral superiority because that's what you do, James White. That's what you do. You don't have any real good evidence. You don't have any real good claims. You just want to try to bully people. Another interesting interaction between James White and an Arminian blogger, William Birch posted an article criticizing James White's take on these events, specifically referencing Psalms 33. And Psalms 33 is not a Calvinist text, and James White wants to use it as a Calvinist text. And William Birch criticizes James White for just reading everything through a Calvinist lens. That's what Calvinists do. Everything's about Calvinism, even when it's not. When God does something, they don't think, oh, why did God do that? And the text says he did it to influence someone, or because someone did something he didn't like. They'll say, oh, look, God did something. So God controls everything and does whatever he wants. Never mind the reason why he did it. Never mind the context. 
yeah, everything's Calvinism to them. So poor William Birch has had to fend off a bunch of Calvinist flackies, James White wannabes, who have been posting and giving him flack for his views. Yeah, that's, that's pretty standard. If anyone wants to go to William Birch's site, williambirch.net, and go down to the comments and try to get the Calvinists to refocus to the text and really explain what the various authors were trying to communicate in the various texts, William Birch has a great article in which he quotes all sorts of verses by the prophets in which God is disappointed. And the Calvinists, they just ignore all of that. So go to this blog, refocus the Calvinists to the text of the Bible. Calvinists won't want to do that. It'll be pretty fun. William Birch is pretty shuck up about the entire shooting in Florida. Read his other articles where he talks about humanizing them and not objectifying people. That's what William Birch cares about, and uh, probably show him some respect and see what he has to say about those issues as well. I've sent William Birch messages. I want to try to get him on the program, especially to talk about uh, certain things that he's dealt with in his own life. It would be an interesting program, and I hope he listens to this, and I hope he decides to come on. But everyone needs to keep in mind that the Bible doesn't teach fatalism. It doesn't teach that everything happens for a reason. When people ask you why things happen, sometimes the answer is there's no reason. There's no reason that bad things happen. Sometimes people get killed by murderers. Sometimes people just get cancer. Sometimes people die in freak accidents. Sometimes things happen for no reason at all. If you have any questions or comments about today's podcast, feel free to put that on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on the companion God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.